uh, the sacrifices, what they mean. We, so, so you have to remember, it's really important, uh, Leviticus is not in a vacuum. The whole time this has been going on, they've been parked <laughs> at the foot of Mount Sinai. That's where they've been. So if you remember from the, in, in there in Exodus where God has appeared on top of Mount Sinai with thunderings and lightnings and all that stuff. It's just massive pictures. Just, they're terrified to death. They said, yeah, we'll talk to God. No, later, Moses, you just do it. Okay? And in which case, we, would, we should take cues in our culture for that attitude to be restored. But it's all down here below the mountain. Uh, they've already violated the very covenant before Moses ever got back down. God is rich in mercy. Okay? He restored those uh, tablets. And so now God has, is, is, is teaching them how to be a very peculiar people among a very Canaan, uh, uh, we would call it secular today, okay, but, but, but among a, 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 a nation, nations of idolaters, sexual perverse, sexually perverse. We know the things they were into. We've talked about that and hardly any different than the Canaanite resurgence among us today and in Western nations. And so they're supposed to be a peculiar people. Well, we're supposed to be a peculiar people. So you see the overlay that all of this is happening in, in the shadow of Mount Sinai, all underneath the umbrella then of that covenant that God made with them. I will dwell in you. I will walk among you. I shall be your God and you shall be my people. And I will give you the land. Well, chapter 26 of Leviticus is the blessings and the curse. Okay, for that whole thing. And, I, and I, I, I plugged in before I was supposed to. So let me do that. And then do this. And you'll begin to understand what I'm talking about. So this is the, the, the terms of the Sinai covenant. The blessings for obedience. And the curses for disobedience. Now in contrast. The Abrahamic covenant. Was made by God. With Abraham, with which God himself became the surety for the covenant. Abraham was zonked out over there. Okay. But God himself was the one that said, if all of these pieces that have been parted, if, 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 hey Abraham, if I don't keep up with this, then may be done to me what was done to these pieces cut in half. Which, it's impossible for God to lie. And God is perfect in all the things that He does and all-powerful, so He kept that covenant. But this covenant is different. This mosaic, this synetic covenant is different. They had terms that God made with them to keep. And this isn't the first time this is mentioned, but this is probably the most replete example that we have of those blessings and cursings with which they really fumbled badly. Okay, which we'll get to in a minute, but that's what this chapter is about. So, in honor of God and His Word, we're going to stand and read, not all of it, that's too much, but I'm going to read to you some sections here I think should get us started. So, in Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 1, <clears throat> says this, You shall not make idols for yourselves, neither a carved image nor a sacred pillar shall you rear up for yourselves, nor, yet, nor shall you set up an engraved stone in your land to bow down to it. For I am the Lord your God. And this is God's God speaking to him. He's starting off with the second commandment. That's how he's starting off with it. 
You shall keep my Sabbaths, verse 2 here, and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, now notice verse 4, then I will give you the rain in its season, and the land shall yield its produce. I'm, I'm going to kind of surf over here. Your threshing, in verse 5, shall last till the time of vintage. Verse 6, I will, give the peace, I will give peace in the land, and you shall lie down and, and not be afraid. Verse 7, you will chase your enemies, and they shall fall by the sword. And then verse 9, I, I will look on you favorably and make you fruitful. And verse 11, I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. Verse 12 was the one I mentioned earlier. I will walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. Verse 14, but... Now, this is where things change. If you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments, and he even goes so far as to say in verse 15, if you despise my statutes and you do not perform them, but you break, notice he says in verse 15, but, but break my covenant. Then he starts listing, I will also do this to you. He says, I will appoint terror over you, wasting disease. I will set my face against you in verse 17. And in verse 18, and even after all of this, if you do not obey me, I will punish you seven times more for your sin. I will break your pride and power. Your strength shall be spent in vain. Verse 21, if you walk contrary to me and not willing to obey me, I will bring on you seven times more plagues according to your sins. Even wild beasts, it says in verse 22. And verse 23, if you're still obstinate. <laughs> and if by these things you are not reformed by me. But walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you, and I will punish you seven times yet for your sins, and bring a sword against you, and execute vengeance. Now, those verse 25, execute the vengeance of the covenant. And then verse 27, and after all this, if you do not obey me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you. And let's just say, all those rest of those verses, it gets even worse. Like it goes from bad to worse and then from worse to really worse. Worse, worse, worse. But notice verse 40. But there's another but here. Okay? Our first but came in 14. Now here's the, here's the second one, verse 40. But after they've been carried away, if you'll read, and they're in another land, if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me, and that they have walked contrary to me, and that I have also walked contrary to them, and have brought them into the land of their enemies. He says, verse 42, I will remember my covenant with them. And then we will get to those beautiful verses at the end, where it says that God would restore them. So, there is in this covenant, intrinsically, there's, there's uh, parameters. There's terms. Unlike the Abrahamic covenant, and the Davidic covenant, there's terms. And they had to keep it. And if they didn't, bad deal. If they did, good deal. So let's pray. Lord, we ask to give us, uh, that your spirit would give us a good understanding in this. And God, for, for me to not blunder the beauty of your truth. And, and, and Holy Spirit of God, that you would just teach us. That you would draw the lost to you today. And Lord, that, 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 the, that the saved would be drawn near to you in, in renewal 
of commitment. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. It's very important, and I, uh, I have only begun to undertake uh, thorough studies of, of the covenants. It's also known as covenant theology. It, it's, it's really large and hard <laughs> to keep track of those things. But aside from that, just this part of the Mosaic Covenant, all of these things God said He would do for them if they kept their end of it. But even if they didn't, God's saying, I will do something for you. But there's there's this, this interplay back and forth of what they needed to do. Now, the whole time we're going through this, I want you to have running on the as an app, if you will, in the background of your mind, Jesus fulfilling the new covenant for us. In other words, what we're given is is just simply the full expression of the Abrahamic covenant perfectly fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus being our our high priest and our offering and the imagery. We've talked about all this throughout the book of Leviticus. But let's just try to see what happens here as we get into this. So, first up, the structure. Leviticus 26 is a collection of blessings on those who keep the law and curses and on those who do not. A collection of such blessings and curses was the usual way to close a major legal text in biblical times, in which case this is a legal text that we've been talking about. This is what you've got to do to do things right so that I will dwell in your midst and so that I won't just, you know, annihilate you. (laughs) There was was a penalty we've seen with Adab and Nabahu of what happens whenever you come into God's presence uh, presumptuously and they were incinerated. So, God desiring that relationship to be among his people, he set out this legal text. This is simply the closing matters. Don't forget, these are the terms. Okay, lots of verses to cover there. But the other thing is, he says in verse 3, well, let me go back to verse 2 real quick. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary, I am the Lord. Now, at just first, I just want to, rem- I, just by way of example, we talked last week about Jubilee. And we also talked about the every seventh year Sabbath. This was, God made it very clear, this was part of the terms. This is what you're supposed to do for the land that I'm giving you. Well, we know later, because we skip ahead, and we understand the Babylonian captivity came. And they were there for 70 years. We understand that for there was 70 seven-year cycles that they did not obey the command of God per the terms of the covenant as a nation in letting the land rest on its every seventh year. 490 years. We haven't, I mean, how long have we been a country now? 200 and what? 250-something or so, give or take, whatever. Okay, we seem like, well, back when we started, we had funny hats and pants and trousers and, you know, they, 
didn't have uh, vehicles. <laughs> but 490 years is a long, long time that God, He just, He bore with them, right? 490, the times through the judges, and all of that mess, and then on and on, and God kept sending them prophets to call, well, the judge would come up, deliver them, and then they'd go back, and there was all this, and God was so rich in mercy, but I was reading today, and I don't remember where, and forgive me for that, because my mind is like a steel trap, but it said that their sin basically came upon them without remedy. It had, it, this was in Second uh, Chronicles 36, and Zedekiah was the last king, and finally Babylon was at the door, and it says their sin came upon them without remedy. 490 years they did not do what God told them to do. Now, they did parts of it. They were, they were pretty good about keeping the weekly Sabbath, you know, and other things. But this part they did not do. Maybe it was the trust factor. If you remember last week, they weren't allowed to eat or they weren't allowed to plant. They were only supposed to eat what God would provide. And so there was a great faith thing here going on on this every seventh year. But it, God makes it very clear one of the main reasons, it wasn't the only reason, but it was one of the main reasons that they got sent off to captivity was because they violated this seven-year Sabbath. So try to understand, 490 years of disobedience. Now here's a question. Is partial obedience obedience? No. But we all do it, do we not? We all do it. Thank God we're not like them under a pro quo kind of deal. Like, you do this and I'm going to do this. I thank God that Jesus bore for me on that cross my failure to live up to the terms of grace. <laughs> to live a holy life when I don't. He bore that for me. Now I'm trying. But outside of Jesus, you can say to Jesus, or you can say to God all the time, Lord, I'm trying. And he's going to say, you're trying to do it your way. And the whole time you tell me you're trying, and dear God, I'm doing this for you, and you ignore my provision, my best, my son, you don't realize the wrath that hangs on your head right now. It is sheer mercy. That you are not annihilated. So we got to think about this issue of this, these terms. That's what they lived under. So when we read, you shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. He meant it. He meant it so much later that they marched off and stayed there 70 years because of it. He says, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, then I will give you. Now, notice these things. Rain in its season. The land shall yield its produce and the trees of the field. And we read elsewhere in Scripture that the Bible says that God, because of their sin, stopped the rain. That's why um, when we talk about, you know, there's the whole climate change thing. Now they're changing their mind again slowly on that. But nonetheless, it's been back and forth. But here's what I know. 
I do believe in absolute climate change. I believe God changes it in a way that coincides with what we're doing in offending Him. I do believe that. Now that doesn't mean to say that I think that every single uh, missing of a rainstorm is caused by you know, somebody doing something. I'm saying overall that God still withholds the rains when He could be sending them because of unrepentance. You know, if you read back uh, to the founding of this country, when everybody was very, still very concerned and, 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 and sensitive to the things of God, they, they were so sensitive, and I've read this to you before, that they would convene as communities. And wanted, they wanted to find out who has sin in the camp. Okay, the barn burned down ne- next to the mill. Which one have you been up to no good? That's kind of how they went with it. And, and true form, a lot of times there was stuff happening. But this is not uncommon. But I thank God in Christ that when I fail to uh, live up to my mandate to live a holy life, which was their mandate, that Jesus bore that for me. But that doesn't mean that I can say, well, Jesus bore that for me. Whew, got out of that one. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Because that's presuming upon grace then, right? Okay, so there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's very big parallels here that happen. Now, I skip down to verse 12 because if you read through from 3 on down, You'll see all the beautiful things that God would do for them when he says, and like in verse 9, I will look on you favorably and make you fruitful and multiply and confirm my covenant with you. He keeps reminding them this is a covenant. There are terms. And I, as long as you guys keep them, I'm going to bless your socks off. We're like, yeah. And then we don't. Which is, you know, when you go down to verse 12, he says, I will walk among you and be your God and you shall be my people. You will have the joy of the Lord among you. Have you ever been anywhere where you did not sense God at all? Now, look, God is everywhere. Okay. That, 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 that is uh, His uh, essential presence. It's, it's everywhere. We know what the Bible says about that. And, and we also know, again, what the manifest presence of God is. That's when God is like in the burning bush. Or perhaps showing up in what we call uh, biblical revival upon a land. And He's just everywhere in an extraordinary way. But then there's that cultivated presence where the people are busy pulling the weeds out of the gardens of their life and seeking Him and seeking to emulate the, uh, the characteristics of the one who bore their sin and to reflect Christ in everything that they do, right? That's that cultivated presence. And you can tell when you are around a people that cultivate the presence of God in their home, in their, in their business, their workplace, whatever, uh, you can tell that, but I can tell you, you can also tell when you go somewhere where no one's doing that, which is what we're having today in large measure in the Western nations. It, things have decayed 
to the point where the cultivated presence of God is no longer um, easily distinguishable. That's why it's so dark, cold, empty. But again, the Lord said, if a land sins against me in persistent unfaithfulness, then I will do all these things to it. So, as the church is here, we are the, we are the body and the bride of Christ. We are the light of the world. The light of the world resides in us. We're not supposed to put our lights under a basket, right? And we are the salt in the shaker. We are to, we are to live out And how do we do that? Well, we cultivate God's presence in what we do. That's the terms of the new covenant, if you will. Okay? We get to do that. We don't have to do. We get to do that. We get a. We have the privilege of joining with God in His redemptive work. We should be able to walk into a dark place, say, well, if nobody else can shine here, I sure will, because the Lord lives in me. And we will speak the scripture and we will speak the truth. And they'll say, you're being mean-spirited. Or they'll say, you're being, uh, you know, biased or racist or misogynistic. Or they have all kinds of really big fat words that they create in the library and then they go give them out. Okay. But our job is to disseminate the fragrances of the Lord Jesus wherever we go. What good does it do me, Brian, if I give a man a sandwich and don't share the gospel with him? I make his belly full and his soul is still empty. So we have to make sure that we do that. Now, this is called cultivating a culture full of Christians spreading that that truth of Jesus Christ everywhere and calling sin, sin, wherever it is. And when we do that, we expose. We expose the charlatans, the pretenders, the the false professors. Because they're the ones that get upset when we say things like, the Bible says that the wrath of God abides upon him who is still lost in his sin. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The saved will rejoice and the lost will hate you for it. But does it matter? Because that's the terms of our new covenant. So what we see here is not a big leap. God says in verse 12, I will walk among you and be your God and and you will be my people. Now, I really like this. Turn to 2 Corinthians 6. We'll start like this. O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now, in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. And then here's what he says in verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what, what communion or what fellowship has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Now, do you see, we'll go on down. For you are the temple of living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And lo and behold, that's what we read when we go right back to Leviticus chapter 26 and the opening passages. 
isn't it interesting that God's intention for us is still to represent? And isn't it also sobering that He reminds us that He's walking in our midst? So when we talk about the cultivated presence of God in this situation, we mean every bit of it. If someone were to come to your home today, would they know that this place has the essence of God in it? Because the true place where the essence of God is found will always lead that person to humility and a desire to get rid of their sin. Because when you come into the presence of the living God, you know how filthy you are. And that place says, there's grace to be found. But you can't stay the way you are. Therefore, he says, you need to be different. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, says the, says the Lord. And I'll go on to verse, read chapter, or verse 1 of chapter 7. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from our all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Did anyone see that next part? Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So I, I, I got to tell you, I don't see much. I don't see that we're supposed to park Leviticus in the Old Testament and walk off. What I see is Leviticus perfected in the Lord Jesus Christ and then he in turn is filled me as the temple of God now is right in here in every one of us and we are to emulate this truth. It is a heresy. By the way, the word heresy, if it, it, it's the word that means if you believe it, it will damn your soul. It is heretical to think that you can remove the Old Covenant or the, the Old Testament from the New Testament and have a complete gospel. What you'll end up with is a God of all love and no justice. All mercy, no accountability, a God made in your image. And boy, there's plenty of those today. Going on. So we've gotten through the good stuff. Now here's the bad stuff. 14 through 39 talks about, and it begins with the word, but if you do not obey me and do not observe all these things, we know what happened. They didn't, and they got carted off to Babylon. If you don't obey me and do not observe all these commandments, if you despise my statutes or if your soul abhors my judgments, if you abhor them so that you do not perform my commandments and but you break my covenant, I will do this. And he says in verse 25, I will bring a sword against you that will execute, notice the language, the vengeance of the covenant, the vengeance of it. I'm just going <laughs> to try to make a parallel here on the fly. Is there, is there a vengeance of the covenant in the new covenant. He who believes in the Son has life. 
He who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God shall come upon him. Yes, there is. Do you see it? Is anyone else even remotely excited as I am about seeing the beauty of the consistency of the message of God in all the Bible? And, and for so long, for so many of us, Leviticus has been parked over there in the closet where you keep the brooms and the, and the mousetraps and, you know, things. And I'm saying, look at what he did, you guys. Look what Jesus provided. And in all of it, he's transforming the world. Well, because I'm running out of time. That goes fast. He says there's another but that we've got to look at. Okay? Verse 40. Now, we, if you go through the other ones, we've got to remember it ends really bad for them. They're penalized. The, exec, the execution of the covenant is given. And we know that that happened. A lot of people died when Nebuchadnezzar sacked uh, Israel. Carted them off. Okay? It was even worse in AD 70. When Titus came in and did it the second time, it was even worse. You ought to read about that sometime. We, we are really poor when we don't understand that. But, there's another but here. If they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers and their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me and they have also walked contrary to me, he says, if they do, what does he say he would do? He says, I, or he goes on to say, I will remember in verse 42, I will remember my covenant with Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham. I will remember the land. So what is this called here? What's happening? Repentance. It's called repentance. When you get off over there in the land that you shouldn't be in, and you begin to take a spiritual inventory of what's wrong in your life, and you realize the mess you've made, And you say, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Then I will remember my covenant with who went before you and with the land. The Bible says when we're not faithful, he remains faithful. Aren't you glad of that, Christian? Aren't you glad of that? Because sometimes we get in a bad mood for a few years and we're not very faithful. But He is faithful. I've heard, I've heard some of your stories of faith and how some of you were saved, genuinely converted, and got off into error and maybe spent several years that way. But then God just came and invaded you and pulled you back and reminded you of His covenant on His terms that He fulfilled in His Son in your life. He cannot deny himself. Brother Kim McHenry made some good imagery on this. The reason that we believe that when a person is genuinely saved and born again and cannot be lost, we call that eternal security. Think about when in Leviticus you had a, an Israelite that had offended God He needed to come and get things right. He brought two animals. One 
was to be sacrificed for his sin. The other one, the goat, was sent off as the escape goat. The sins were transferred on him and sent off, okay? For you to lose your salvation, I thank you, Kim, for bringing this to mind. For you to lose your salvation under this old covenant context would be to say, you know what, priest? I've changed my mind. I, I, don't, I don't really care to be atoned for anymore. I've, I've discovered shrimp. And I'm going to go do it my way. So, if you've still got any of that blood left on the altar, just scrape it up. Give it back. And uh, gather all the ashes you can that hadn't burned up or any of that. Just give it back. Then, I'm going to go out and I'm going to try to find that scapegoat that took my sins away. I'm going to go out and I'm going to get it. And I'm going to bring them both back. And I'm going to say, never mind you, priest. And then I'm going to go home. Do you see how impossible and ridiculous that is? Do you really see it? That which is done for us is not just done for us. It's done in us. There's a difference. When you're you're in Christ, when you're a Christian, you're born again of, not a new start, not of a clean conscience, so to speak. You're born again of the Spirit. It says He puts His life in you. So then you say to your sin, good riddance, and I don't want any more. Oh, look, there's a little more. How did I, what am I, and, and you just want to get clean again, and you come to the Father who loves, and you say, oh, I'm so why did this and he reminds you of Jesus who will keep you in perfect peace who reminds you there's no longer any condemnation for you that he bore it and you say thank you I'm going to try really better and but then you realize too that trying isn't a key word for being a legalist it just means that you really want to you really really just want to please your your lord That's the essence of the Christian life. And we see all that right here. Because he says, I will remember. And then he goes down in verse 43. The land also should be left empty by them and will enjoy its Sabbaths while it lies desolate. Because God's going to do what he says he's going to do. Because they despise my judgments. And because they abhorred my statutes. And let's all admit that whenever we sin against the Lord, it's because we're despising his statutes in that moment. Yet for all that, I like verse 44, yet for all that. (laughs) You talk about extreme grace. When they are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, nor shall I abhor them to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them. For I am the Lord their God, and I will remember the covenant of their ancestors whom I brought out of the land of Egypt and at the sight of the nations that I might be their God. I am, I like how he keeps saying I am the Lord. And, And just by way of, Reminder, verse 46, these are the statutes and judgments and laws which the Lord made between himself and the children of Israel on Mount Sinai by the hand of Moses. So there they were. That's where all this was happening. The consequences of the curses are referred to as discipline, chastise and punishment. That's what we see in verse 18 and 28. They are not God's last word to his erring people. 
Judgment does not prove that God has rejected His people. Rather, He punishes them because they are His own. So if they confess their sin and humble their hearts, God will remember His covenant with the patriarchs. And what this remembering will mean in practice is not spelled out here, but Deuteronomy 30, 1-10, through 10, a similar passage in a similar context, explains that it will mean restoration to the land of promise and prosperity there. And did we not see that happen? After 70 years? For 490 years they despised his statutes. And then after 70 years, what did happen? They came back. God raised up a pagan king, and God used this pagan king, Cyrus, and sent them back. God is very true to his word. Lastly, let's remember more on future grace. Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their father, so now we have a different one. When I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, as he's reminding them of that, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the, one, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And that's what it means to be in Jesus Christ. Now, this could get so much larger. I don't have time. This is just a scraping of the tip, tippity-tip-tip of the iceberg. But this new covenant is what we're going to be celebrating today. This new covenant that's made up of Jew and Gentile. This new covenant that stretched down to a people that weren't looking for him. And God in his infinite mercy chose them and picked them and saved them and draw them to himself before the foundation of the world. Not based on their own worth or goodness or, or gifting or because they were looking. God just did it. And he gathered for himself and said, look, son for you it's in here when we, when, we, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God upon our salvation and sealed into the day of promise his law is right inside that, that truth of who Jesus is is just abiding right in here and, and that's why it's repugnant to me the idea that somehow I can say to God Never mind. I don't want that anymore. I, I just, I found something better. No. Because I'll tell you this much. If there's a Jesus you've met you can walk off from, you hadn't met the same one I met. He will shut you down and change your life. That is the essence and the power of this new covenant. And I wish I knew more how to bring it together, but right now that's all I got. In a few moments, we're going to be partaking of communion.
And Jesus established this, this, uh, this service, this meal, as a memorial for this new covenant, he said, which was in his blood. And we're supposed to do this until he comes back. So we're looking to that return. But while we look for that return, we need to be investing and cultivating his truth in our lives, in our culture, and in our culture. We have a king that reigns. He doesn't need rescuing. He needs proclaimed. And I, and I sometimes wonder, huh, you know, I hate snakes, so I'm going to just give you this analogy. If there were a box in a bunch of boxes, like if there was one particular box in a whole room full of boxes and we were hauling boxes out and you knew there was a rattlesnake in one of those boxes with an untaped lid, and you failed to tell me because you thought, A, well, he doesn't like to talk about snakes. Or B, B, it's too busy. If I take time to talk, we're never going to get this done and I want to go home. Or for whatever reason, you just think, why does it matter anyway? It's just one box. I'll probably, I know what it looks like. I'll get it myself. And I get that box. And then suddenly, there he is. Hmm. And then I find out, you're like, oh, I meant to tell you about that. Not going to like you very much. But let me just take that really shallow story and say this. We have this treasure in earthen vessels of knowing the gospel and the truth of God. We know the judgment to come. We know the grace of Christ and we know who can save men. Do we really want to have the charge that, well, you guys never talked about like you believed it much anyways. If you knew, why didn't you say? Do you see how serious this gets? And that's our mission.